Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. You're listening to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum, and we pick up where we left off last week with Dr. Bill Forstgen. I kind of liken it to the Boy Scouts. Their motto is be prepared, and they, ah. learn, they learn the skills of what to do to be prepared. But there's also the helping hand of the Boy Scouts where they're prepared for themselves, but they help others. They're the good deeds that they do. You're talking to an Eagle Scout here. So, yes, that resonates. Me too. <laughs> oh, you are too? Okay. Yes. <laughs> So the Boy Scouts, really, that's that's your training for all this when you're young. And it's, it's not just the training of the skill set. It's the mentality that you need to be prepared. You need to have the skill sets. And you use those skill sets not just for yourself. You use them for your family, your friends, and for your community. And really, that's that's what you portrayed in One Second After that I thought was just incredible. And that's why the local level is so important. It's also an ethic of the region you and I are blessed to live in. Uh, Some critics have commented, well, Bill, that's great for Black Mountain, North Carolina, but you think it would be this way in downtown Toledo or New York City or whatever? Well, I can't speak for that, but I can speak for our local communities here that there's a lot of decent people here who will know how to stand up and be prepared. There it goes. The Boy Scouts, be prepared. Yeah, and I think you're right. I mean, there's no question that we are blessed to live in a community that understands the whole concept of community. I mean, that's what you have here that you don't have in New York, that you don't have in downtown any large city. You don't have community. You have a lot of separate separate people acting separately. Here, you have separate people acting both separately and in a community. That's what you well, have in one second after. Let me throw a specific example, Sandy. Now, I'm a transplant. That's where I grew up. I grew up just outside North New Jersey, and I try to hide that at times. But recall Sandy, it's been a couple of years ago. I remember several days after Sandy, I was watching, what's her name, Sawyer, I think, with ABC News. And she was interviewing a woman down on the shoreline of Staten Island. And I felt both empathy but anger because the woman is standing there and she's saying, I haven't had water in three days and there's no food in the house other than a box of crackers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and your typical liberal media 
type was standing there. And, of course, she pointed out at the end of this whole interview, we made sure that Mrs. Smith got a five-gallon bucket of water and a package of MREs. That's nice. But I also wanted to shout at that woman. Sandy was predicted five days before it hit. Lady, you know, you could have filled up your bathtub with water. You could have gone out for the panic hit. And even with 10 bucks, you could have bought 10 or 15 cans of soup. You could have been prepared a little bit rather than stand there wringing your hands while watching the storm come straight at you. we got to get the majority of Americans to start rethinking about taking care of themselves. Well, one of the things about it is is that you, when you think about how often the shelves in your supermarket are resupplied every three or four days, if the trucks can't get there, those supplies go very rapidly. And especially if people are afraid they run on them, you have empty stores, and if you haven't prepared, you don't have what you need to survive. Well, you, you what's your physician's background? You and I are just about the same age that we can recall as a little kid, your doctor had a small pharmacy right in his bag and in his office. Those days are gone. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because you're right. When I was a kid, if I, and I never wanted to tell my patient, my mom and dad that I had a sore throat because the minute I said the word sore throat, that pediatrician was over there with his black bag, and you know what was in that black bag was a very large a needle. needle. That's yes, right, a very body, large right. needle. <laughs> but but you're right. I mean, he'd come over there, he'd open that bag. There'd be all kinds of stuff in that bag, and he'd mm-hmm. make that house call, and he'd cure you. Uh, that's the way medicine happened. That's and out here, you know, you see every once in a while the doctor's buggy. And he used to ride around with his horse and buggy, and he had he had a pharmacy and a pretty much almost a mini operating room along with him because he had to do things right on the the kitchen table sometime. Literally on the kitchen table at times. Look what? look at how our pharmacy systems are set up. Again, you and I can remember going into a pharmacy as a kid, and there was a big room in the back. Our whole infrastructure today is predicated on computers. I go into a pharmacy, I get a prescription filled, and within seconds, yes, it's filled, but then their computer sends it up to the main office, and then a day later, the FedEx truck pulls up and just gives just enough supply to be on hand. Think about nursing homes. The medication that's actually kept in the nursing home for patients is only for a day or two because of security concerns and other things. It's fresh delivered every day. Well, suppose a delivery truck does not arrive at a nursing home for a week. Any of the listeners who have dealt with someone they love in a nursing home knows the nightmare those places will turn into within a matter of hours without electricity or the truck arriving with painkillers, just painkillers alone the next day. Picture all that across America. Katrina, Sandy were actually local events. My college... Within hours after the folks down at Katrina became known, we organized a truckload of supplies to send to a church group down there. Katrina was a local event. Imagine a national level event like that. Right. Well, that's what you what you just dem- demonstrated. It was a local event, which also meant that the surrounding areas that were not 
uh, were not affected, were able to contribute to the help. And in a national event, everyone's in the same sinking boat at the same yes. time. And that's not because... knowing that the boat's even sinking. Right. And that's because we are, like you so aptly pointed out, we're an instantaneous society. We're not a long-term society. Everything is, everything is really instantaneous only, nothing long-term. So that's what One Second After did for me. It was an incredible book. I mean, and, and like I said in the beginning of the program, it, it, spar- it changed the thinking of a whole movement of people. Uh, it, was, it was probably one of the most, in, most important books that I've read in the last four or five years. It certainly it set the stage for what we're looking at now, didn't it? Thank you for the compliment, and it stunned me. I mean, I wrote a book. I wanted to try and move something off center. I didn't anticipate what was going to happen. Um, it started to catch on to me. It was about three months after the book came out. I got a phone call. There was a meeting of preppers was being held at a um, local you know, resort uh, out here in Western North Carolina. And I showed up. We had to move to a different location. And rather than 50 people, there were 600 there. I was like, what is this? I go to another one a couple months, six months later. There were 2,000 people there. My wrist was numb by the end of the day. <laughs> I mean, books. But if I can help people realize and just prepare, and, and, and those who are listening... If you haven't thought about preparing, just do a little research. You don't have to go out like you see on that show I really despise, Doomsday Preppers, and have bunkers and three years' worth of stuff. Even if you just had four weeks of emergency supplies in your closet, which would not set you back much more than a couple hundred dollars, getting through that first month is very, very crucial. We have to take a quick break here on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. More right after this. Well, that's certainly, you know, obviously very good advice. And, and, you know, that's one of the things that is so, you mentioned our area, that we are blessed to live in. You know, the people who grew up in this area, they grew up growing their food in a garden. They grew up every harvest time, sitting there, the entire family getting together and canning everything that they, you know, that they could to last over the winter. So that's the mentality of the people who grew up in this area. So they were already doing everything that you're talking about that needs to be done. Um, So you're right. Where we are is the right place, the right place to be. You know, I would add that was not just here. I grew up in North New Jersey. My grandparents had raised raised a family during the Depression. As a child, I can remember even in our little row home, there was, there was a garden in the backyard, and there was stuff being canned, and there was stuff piled up in the basement. And, you know, growing up in a world of prosperity post-World War II, I kind of chuckled at it, but that was ingrained into my parents and my grandparents, who had gone through a, a massive depression. 
Well, you know, yeah. you know, I'm I'm from the same era as as you mentioned, and my my parents and grandparents were the same way. You know, waste not, want not. That's I'm a, I probably heard that ten thousand times growing up. A stitch in time saves nine. That's what they yeah. were all about. You know, they went through a time of extreme hardship that we haven't even can't even imagine what it was like. And they came out changed. And that is where the term greatest generation winds up as well, that my father's generation that grew up during the Depression went out and saved the world, literally. Literally. And when, when they came back to America, it's like, well, you and I grew up part of a spoiled generation. Understandable. Our parents wanted to shelter us from the harsh realities of these things. It's now been 70, 80 years since America has really faced a starving forgotten what it's like. God willing, it never does happen. But again, to be a Boy Scout, why don't we just be prepared? And it's not just about EMP or a major solar storm. Uh, look what happened with Sandy or a major hurricane, events like that. People should be able to get by on their own for at least a week to 10 days, preferably a month. That's... not have to worry about it. That's that's certainly incredibly good advice. But, you know, uh, we really are facing, you know, when we talk about things like that, and, and obviously one second after was about one type of event that caused the catastrophe that you wrote about. But there are other sources, there are other possible possible ways for collapses to occur. And I know you know plenty about that. We just missed it again this week. Uh, listeners, uh, if curious about this, it's called coronal mass ejection. Look up Carrington. It starts with a C. C-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. Carrington event, which was a major coronal mass ejection, a solar storm that hit Earth in 1859 and blew out the technology of that day. Telegraphy systems, actually, the wires melted off the poles. If that level of a solar storm hit us today, it would not just blow out the United States grid, it would blow out the global grid, and then you really have hell within a matter of hours. We have built massive infrastructure, the miracle of the 20th century, but we didn't build the safety things and have the reserve parts in case a major event happened. Now, just in the last week, there was a coronal mass ejection that, well, relatively speaking, will take it past underneath the Earth. But if it hit it straight on, we would have screwed. There was actually a news report out how last year that the Earth had been five days back in its orbit. We would have been hit by a double whammy of two CMEs head-on, which would have blown our grid out. Statistically, this happens about every 100 to 150 years. I don't like those odds. People ask me, what's the probability of an EMP? And highly likely. What's the probability of a CME? Inevitable. It will happen. Well, again, not to use a term uh, that I really don't like, but there are other man-made type catastrophes that, oh, yeah. that can occur as well. And the same rules apply. 
They may not be instantaneous and ca- or instantaneously catastrophic, but the results are the same. Civilization, that thin veneer that keeps us from being animals, goes away. And I know you wrote about that. We're, we're facing a threat, uh, namely the threat of terrorism. Terrorism has the ability to cause that same loss of civility that we depend on to interact with each other. I guess you're kind of referencing a bit to the book I wrote this summer, uh, Day of Wrath. I will tell you, Day of Wrath was the type of book that I literally could not stop reading. I had I recommended it to some friends who called me up and said, I hate you. I started reading that book at 9 o'clock at night, which was a mistake because I, I was up until 4 o'clock in the morning because that's what it took to get it 100% finished. And that's the kind of book Day of Wrath is. It's an absolutely, I can't put this thing down book. That was a bloody nightmare writing that thing. Uh, Day of Wrath is about ISIS. Is about ISIS striking inside the United States. The scenario I used to say, the book was released on August 17th. I used to say I based the scenario on what happened in Beslan, Russia, September 1st, 2004, where a group of jihadists, national, actually Chechen nationalists, Muslims, seized a school in Russia and murdered over 300 children. And then about three weeks back, I changed what I said when I was doing an interview because we saw it happen in Pakistan, where over 120 children were murdered by animal scum. We broke into a school where you think there would be high security because it was a school in which military personnel's children were going. They beheaded children. They took a favorite teacher in that school and they set him in a fire, burned him to death in front of children. ISIS has promised they're going to come to the United States. And here in January, we just saw a murderous attack in Paris. Twelve journalists killed. Why? Because they, they did a satirical cartoon about the so-called prophet. That's a reason to murder people. We're facing an implacable foe that makes the Nazis look like a bunch of Quakers. So, yes, back in the summer, I, I wrote a book about it. And I'll tell you, Doc, it was even tougher than writing one second after because I was researching and looking at what ISIS was doing while the rest of the world was saying, oh, they're just the JV. Remember the president saying, it's the JV team. We don't have a strategic plan yet. Oh, we'll drop a few bombs. Yeah, these people make the Nazis look like Quakers, and we're going to have to face them sooner or later. They're going to bring their war here. And that concludes part two of this very special interview with Dr. Brian Forstgen right here on Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Tune in next week for part three and the conclusion of this interview. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Oh, me the mischief. Oh, me the wind.
Thank <laughs> you. 